Welcome back to Under Pressure, the business building podcast in the pressure washing space, where we bring you experts in the industry to give you their insights, experience, and advice to help you grow your pressure washing business. Today, we are very excited to have with us Paul Cassander, uh, the owner of the Power Wash store based out of Menominee Falls, Wisconsin. Paul, we are incredibly excited to have you join Dave and I today. Thank you for joining us. Very happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Welcome aboard, Paul. All right. So, Paul, just a, a, a quick question, just to kind of like lay the groundwork for the conversation. Um, get, tell us your story. Like, how did you get into this industry? How did you start the store? Like, what led you to this? Well, I started um, as a contract cleaner uh, back in 1993 is when I incorporated my business. Uh, I spent 25 years as a contract cleaner. Um, I, I originally started at you know, back in the early nineties, the auto detailing business was the fat one of the fastest growing industries. Get into auto detailing. Oh, I was looking for something to do on my own. Uh, prior to that, I was managing movie theaters for, uh, Marcus theaters and Cinemark and United artists. I, I worked with a couple of different chains as a movie theater manager. So I wanted to kind of get into something on my own, an opportunity. I always wanted to really run my own business. So I, Bought up a guy's company, started detailing a few cars and decided that I just hated it. <laughs> I just, I just hated it. I hated it with a passion. It was like, this is like, it was worse than punishment. So I ended up with the company that I had bought out. He had a few fleet accounts. So I started washing trucks and, and that I enjoyed. I mean, it was a really um, active job. Uh, I was outside all day. I really enjoyed that. Did landscaping over the years, all different kinds of things. So I, I like being outdoors um, and uh, just kind of got into the bulk truck washing, bulk vehicle washing. Did that for 25 years. I, I owned a, um, uh, a stationary truck wash for about five years. Uh, bought up a company that had gone on a business bankrupt and, and rebuilt that. Uh, it's kind of like a blue beacon type thing, uh, drive-in truck wash base. So Grew that, rebuilt that, ended up selling that off, and then got back into uh, just focusing on just my mobile washing. Um, and uh, just one day just kind of was led down a path to start selling parts to local people. Some of my customers needed wands and guns and hoses and stuff like that, and they just asked me for it when I would come out, and I'd sell them stuff. So I decided to branch off in that and... Um, ran a company called Moby Clean for a lot of years, built that up uh, over a period of about five years selling parts, and then uh, partnered with another company. Uh, didn't work out after a few years and uh, eventually ended up splitting off on my own in 2011 as Power Wash Store. Um, again, um, January 1st of 2011 is actually when I started um, selling parts and equipment as Power Wash Store. Uh, wow. From there, um, continued to have my wash company in the background for probably about two or three more years, and I sold it off. Um, just kind of got to be too much to do everything, you know, working 18-hour days, seven days a week. It gets to be old. Every weekend, you're out washing, and every day, you're, you know, at work all day trying to catch up. So, did that. Um about five years ago, we set up a franchise model. Um, with our growth, it was getting difficult to maintain. We're having a lot of requests to have stores over the country. So we established our franchise model and uh, kind of brought us to where we are today. So being being where you are today and in the position you're in, 
Um, you have the perfect, uh, the perfect point of view here as the connector in the industry to give us your perspective on, you know, the, the status quo of the industry and, uh, you know, the environment we're dealing with today. So I'm hoping that uh, in this conversation, a few things we can touch on from your point of view are some of the supply chain issues today and, and the, um, the pricing changes that are going on and, and how financials are being affected. And, and maybe we can touch on some of the trends you're seeing in the industry as well. Um, well, I can start off with some of the trends first because the financial discussion yeah. probably be a little bit longer. Um, you know, it's interesting that as, as much as the industry has changed, it hasn't changed. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the cleaning processes have improved. I'd say probably the biggest change that I've seen in the, you know, 30 years of, of being in business and doing cleaning is that you're seeing a, uh, a, a substantial shift from cleaning with pressure to cleaning with detergents and, and, and chemicals, chemical cleaning mm -hmm. um, at, as your um, cleaning process. You know, it used to be, you know, uh, the cleaning process, can, you can boil it down to, you know, um, two things. It takes energy to clean. And you either have mechanical energy, which would be like pressure or a brush, or you have chemical mm -hmm. energy, which would be like your soaps or your bleach. And, and what we've seen is a switch from heavier on the mechanical side over to more of a uh, lower pressure chemical cleaning process. Bleach has become the you know primary cleaner within our industry because we deal with so many organics. And, and mm -hmm. some of that's a product of the change in materials over the years, um, <clears throat> more limestones, more biodegradable building products so that they don't fill the landfills and they break down, which increases al algae growth um, and we found that cleaning with a chemical process, you can clean with lower pressures and not damage a lot of the softer surfaces, the uh, the lighter surfaces, things are getting lighter and thinner and, you know, mm -hmm. to, to keep the, the manufacturing costs down, you know, the, the, the siding used to be thick, heavy steel, and then it was aluminum, and then it was vinyl, you know, now we got in, we're getting into drive it, you know, stucco is a lot, lot different than drive it, you know, concrete is a lot yeah. different, concrete, you know, sidewalks and driveways have changed over the years to uh, accommodate for runoff of, of surfaces. So you can get some concrete, you know, that's really soft and you need a, a different process for cleaning that because pressure will just destroy it. So that that's probably been the biggest thing. Um, the, the internet advancements uh, have changed mm -hmm. the way people learn how to do that stuff. So you're seeing better trained people than there used to be. But, uh, you know, cleaning in general, if anything, it's just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. So looking at the business side of that, what does this trend of the, the, the shift from mechanical energy to, to chemical energy, what does that mean for a business in terms of, you know, increased profit margins or, or are the, the costs rising because of that and the chemicals are expensive? So do you see a profitability difference? And do you also see maybe... Uh, a shift in pricing because the quality of service is increasing. I'm wondering how this translates to the business side. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's a little bit difficult to say. I, I would say, honestly, over the years, you know, I don't know that margins and profit margins have necessarily changed dramatically. You know, the good mm -hmm. companies are always adjusting as they go for their increased costs. You know, it used to cost, you know, when you're able to buy a, 
you know, two story house for $64,000 that was, you know, 2,000 square feet. Well, now that same house is $400,000 in some market, you know, or more in, in a lot of markets, right? So, yeah. you know, that, that's all changed. Building materials, you know, I used to be able to get OSB for $5 a sheet, and I think it's what, like $50 a sheet right now or something. So, you know, the, the adjustments, I think, on pricing kind of come along based on costs and expenses. Um, I think there's more understanding of the pricing. I think more we've seen, I would say, and I don't want to say more educated uh, people coming into the industry, but more uh, in touch with all the operations related to business. You know, back in the day, a lot of times it was a handyman or landscaper or a you know, whoever uh, that that just, you know, did some washing a little bit on the side. Maybe it was the builder that washed the house when he was done. And more and more people have gotten into the industry because it's not overly expensive to join kind of like, you know, lawn care. You buy a lawnmower and now you're a landscaper. Um, you know, there, there there's that. Uh, with the internet changing, I mean, I remember when I first got in, the internet was still young. You know, my first computer was $4,000 and it had, you know, 256 megabytes of memory. Wow. <laughs> you, know, you know, and I bought, you know, it had two megabytes of RAM and I bought two, four megabyte chips to, you know, give myself almost eight, you know, six megabytes of RAM, or, or what I have nine, you know, eight, 10 megabytes of RAM. I'm like, Oh, this thing's super fast. Well, man, I couldn't even, you know, hold my, my call list in my, in my phone with that anymore. Paul, Paul do you, re do you remember the Vic 20? Yep. And the Commodore 64? <laughs> Yeah, the Commodore 64. When I was in 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 grade school and, and the beginning of high school, remember the the pet computer? Yep. yep. You had to put a disc in there, or, or you had a, a cassette tape drive, and it would take. This is how old I am, right? It, it would, <laughs> you'd be winter recess, and and it would be you know four below outside, and if you were lucky, you'd sign up to get to use the computer during lunch hour to play a game. And it literally would take, you know, of your 30 minute lunch hour, 25 minutes to load the game into the computer. And if this tape skipped or somebody bumped it or whatever, the whole thing wouldn't load. You literally sit in front of the computer for 25 minutes waiting to have something that you could basically take a cursor, you know, move a cursor around the screen around different blocks. It was just... so there's been a lot of change that way. I mean, there's there's innovation and change for sure. This young man was born into like the terabyte age, so he doesn't he doesn't know any of this. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's still trying to wrap his mind around what is even 256 megabytes is that uh, a thing yeah the, the, Commodore, <laughs> the Commodore 64 had 64 megabytes and that was like everybody was buying those that was like the first yep. computer you know I, I feel a little better my, my brother's first computer was like eleven thousand dollars and and he needed it for work and that was only like 60 megabytes of memory yeah it's amazing they launched a moon shuttle on six megabytes and those were those yep. were those were tape drives, and each each megabyte was the size of like an industrial refrigerator. Yep, <laughs> that was crazy, huh? <laughs> what a different world. But before we get too far down the computer rabbit hole, um, and before we talk about the supply chain issues, I do want to touch on something you just said about how the internet age has changed this industry. What do you see um, pressure washing companies doing? Uh, to leverage the internet to help them grow? Is it finding better products? Is it finding customers? What can, what can people do today on the internet to really grow their company and grow their business? So there, there's a lot um, that it depends on which way you're looking. You know, from a standpoint of education, um, there's a lot of people that are putting, you know, videos online. They're, they're putting information online. Um, some of it's good. 
some of it's just not even accurate. And and that that kind of becomes a problem. There 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 are people that get on, and and I and I've known people in the past. I've run across some people that I've known that that were customers or people I met at at shows and things like that. That that purposely put wrong information on. How do you sift through the noise? How do you smell test this information? Um, you know, experience is is a big key. People that have been around the industry for a lot of years, if they're willing to share information, typically are going to share information. If you're hearing the same type of thing from multiple sources, you're gonna you can you can rely on that a little bit more. Um, uh, a lot of a lot of contractors, new people coming in. There's a lot of different groups and organizations that are really out there to help the contractors and and steer them in the right direction. Um, anybody that's trying to uh, prevent you from being involved in an organization or a group or, or talk to anybody else or don't listen to that guy. They don't know what they're doing. Usually that's kind of a sign that, you know, they might not really know. Um, but the biggest thing is experience. And, and not that somebody that hasn't been in business for three or four years might know a lot of good things. I mean, some of the smartest things I've ever learned, uh, I've learned from people that been in business for six months. You know, they had a really good business background in a business sense. Uh, they might not know about the equipment and the cleaning processes and things like that, uh, but there's there's things everybody can learn from everyone. Uh, but I would say the biggest thing would be, you know, just do some research. You know, if, if if it's one guy saying this is the only way and this this is the only way it can be done and this is it and everybody else is dumb, eh, you know, you might want to take that with a little bit of, you know, grain of salt. Oh yeah, there's plenty. Of, there's plenty of those guys out there. There, there, there really are. There really are. Um, you know, so the, the education has made a big, big swing change in the Internet as it's developed. We went from the old bulletin boards to, um, you know, a lot of video training being online, YouTube channels um, and, and things like that, that that have really um, changed the way things are being done. Uh, we're still doing a lot of shows. I think some of the in-person training and hands-on training is, is really still the best. Um, because you can really get get a better idea than, than just reading about it. So I'm wondering, someone who um, has has got the the technical aspect down, has the technical training, but is a technician now running a business. Where would you point them for business information in the pressure washing industry? Where's the best resource to go to learn how to run your your pressure washing bit? There, there's a lot of different resources um, in that. Um, sometimes mentoring with another another person, and and then that's kind of one of the things we've tried to do within our shows is that we kind of try to provide and and you know you you were at our show in January, but we we try to do an annual show and shows throughout the year at franchise locations. Um, to kind of help guide people to different resources, you know, obviously reading different books about business management, business leadership um, are, are always very helpful. Um, the organizations can help. A lot of people can clean, don't know how to run a business. A lot of people know run out of business, have no idea how to clean. So you, you got to kind of find that balance in there. Um, there, there are resources out there. Uh, some of the, the coaches that are out there are pretty good. Conquer is a really good program for a business that's looking to, um, you know, I, I know a bunch of the coaches. I've never heard a negative word about that. Um, you know, Brandon Vaughn and, and what he's put together with his coaches, Matt Clark and Kedma and a bunch of the other people that work for him are just really really good business. And, and not from a sense that they're going to tell you how to run your business, but point you in the right direction. People that you can ask, uh, get involved in the local chamber of commerce. 
there's a lot of businesses in there. You don't have to talk to a guy that runs a pressure washing business. You can learn more from a guy that runs a McDonald's store or, or a, 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 you know, a, a manufacturing facility or the, the garbage truck company. Uh, you know, one of the smartest guys I know has spent almost his entire life in garbage. It's hauling garbage, selling garbage, running garbage truck. He, he builds a company, he buys a company, buys some equipment, gets it up, gets his structure going, builds it up into a multi-million dollar business. And then, you know, a big, bigger company comes along and buys them out. And then he goes and does it again. Um, you know, uh, just some really, really brilliant people out there that can help you, guide you in business and, and reading and, and obviously the books and, and things like that are, are, are quite helpful. Yeah, and I, I saw I saw the um, the Congress presentation at your show, and that uh, um, the, uh, the that whole maps program, and really really working on kind of developing your way out of the day to day operations, so you can focus on the bigger picture. And uh, you know, a lot, a lot of people are are nervous to give up operational control, and, and you're not going to grow without people. I mean, you're incredibly limited without people. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and it's a very difficult thing to do. It was always really difficult for me. I was always in the field. I'm always been a hands-on kind of guy and, and, and to manage that it, it was a, it was a difficult task for me to not micromanage people. And, and, you know, one of the things I found is just give them a task, tell them what you want done and walk away. Don't watch right. and then come back. And if they got it done in a reasonable time and the end result, they might not have got there by the same path as you. But if they got it done and they didn't mess anything up, sometimes that's just what it takes is a little bit of, uh, you know, openness with that. Absolutely. So we need to take a moment to hear a word from our sponsor, Pair Payments, and we will be right back. Thank you. You certainly can't afford to give profit away for no reason. But what if I told you credit card processors may be overcharging you and robbing you of profits you've worked hard to earn? It's time to put an end to being overcharged for payment processing. It's time to take back your profits. That's why we've put together a free report, How to Avoid Being Overcharged by Your Payment Processor. Head over to TakeBackYourProfits.com, download the report, and put an end to being overcharged for credit card processing. You've worked hard for your sales, and you deserve to keep it. What are you waiting for? Go to TakeBackYourProfits.com and download your report today. All right, and we are back with Paul Cassander of Power Wash Store and Dave Ayava, CEO of Pair Payments. Dave, uh, I'm going to pass it to you for some questions. All right, so so Paul, just backing up to before the break, um, we were talking about uh, you know how the internet is kind of changing things and has for the industry. You know, you know one of the things that I think is a big focal point is uh, just general automation. Um, you know, work get, getting into CRMs that take away paper management, take away people. Um, you can kind of shrink those activities down a little bit. Um, so I just think some of the software that's out there it, it has been uh, you know really enhances a business's capability. We use several different softwares in our business, and it, and it takes the place of Sometimes it takes the place of people. Sometimes it enhances what those people are able to do. But what other areas of of, uh, of, of the uh, the internet that you think is really benefiting uh, some of the power watches that are out there? Well, you know, some of the really successful companies that we see out there are doing a lot with developing websites. Obviously, I mean, the websites are still, you know, outside of Facebook and TikTok and all the little things that everybody likes to watch and look at. And that, and that's a resource to lead people to them. But at the end of the day, nothing replaces a website. And 
Um, what, what, what I'm seeing is some of the bigger companies have, have figured out, you're talking about different lead generators and, and things like that and, and automations that they developed, that there are uh, estimator tools built into their websites that allow homeowners to go online and put in information about the square footage of their house, uh, maybe how many valleys, roof, you know, how many stories, different types of information that they can put in. And they can literally based on history and and not you know no companies knowing their numbers from tracking and and doing that stuff can can generate um estimates and quotes directly to the customer like immediately just like you know ordering at a at a restaurant it's like well i want to you know get my roof cleaned oh and it costs this much more to do my house on the driveway or there's a package deal and it's this many square feet and my driveway is this long and and they can literally book pay and schedule their cleaning online without anybody ever having to go out. Um, now, now some companies still like to be a little bit micromanagey again and, and look at everything. But if you have a good idea of what your numbers are, you can really uh, do this stuff and, and, and be profitable. And, and you might go from a, you know, a 42% profit to a 38% or 39% profit. But at the end of the day, how much does it cost you in your time and effort to go out and do all that type of stuff? So if you can generate those leads, you know, that's the kind of stuff that eliminates a salesperson that you, that's not that you want to eliminate jobs, but finding somebody. And, and if you can have something that automatically does that and collect the payment, you know, they give you your credit card and they swipe it in, you know, they put it in the information in and it's prepaid and, and, you know, you give discounts for prepay and, and that type of stuff. So we're, we're seeing a lot more of that as the technology has improved and, and more and more options are out there for people. Well, it, it's, it's how many, you know, at minimum, it's another line in the water, you know, and yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, so, you know, you, your salespeople are out there and if you could pull six or seven paid customers right off the internet, then that pays for itself relatively quickly. Uh, there's some companies that I know of that literally don't have any salespeople. Everything they get is from website lead generation and referrals, and they don't do in-person estimates. Right. They just they just don't do it. It's just all done online, and they're and they're booked out, and they have multiple crews. So that's great. You know, it's, and, it's, and that that should be something everybody should be thinking of in that industry because the nice thing about um, pressure washing cleaning industry is it tends to be very local, so your spend can be can be very close to home. You know, if you're if you're a national company, it's very tough to pull that off because you'd have to have a monster budget. But locally, your budget doesn't. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised at how low you can keep your budget and still pull that off. Absolutely, you can you can invest a, a a fair amount of money in the beginning to become number one, and it's really not hard to stay there if you, uh, you know, invest a small amount of regular revenue into it. Uh, on a national scale, it's it's pretty hard to become number one. I've I've done a lot of work to try to you know, get our website ranked where it is. And, um, you know, from a washing standpoint, when I had my wash company and my website, it, it didn't take as long as, as people realized to, to get up there and, and, and kind of stay up there. Right. How many SEO guys did you get go through before you, you actually earned, got your money back? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the people I'm using now are, have been really good, good to me. Good. Um, they've done a good job in, in, in doing that. So thankfully I've been good that way. But yeah, when I had my wash company, you know, there was a couple of different companies I tried that, oh, I'll get you to there and I'll do this and I'll generate this much stuff and this leads and look at these numbers. And, and at the end of the day, I mean, if it's not generating revenue 
that's a tangible revenue source. It doesn't matter how many people visit your website if they're if they're clicking through and not doing anything with it. Yeah, so. that's that's funny because often that's how those companies measure themselves. They'll say, "Well, you got uh, you know seven hundred people click through to uh, to your website," and, and my answer to that was, "I got zero dollars click through to my bank account." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so that's yeah. It, it, Kind of the same thing with a with a billboard, right? You know, three three thousand cars see this every hour, and it's like, but you never got one single call off the billboard. Right. Well, either your ad's wrong, or just because the cars are driving by doesn't mean that people are looking at it. You know, if it's lost in the noise, it it doesn't do you a lot of good. So, folks, just when you're out there and you're looking for that SEO guy, anybody that says I'll make you number one on Google in two months. Don't hire that guy. <laughs> well, they will. They just put a lot of money into AdWords. Yeah, yeah. And then like, when the AdWords run out, you're at the bottom of the list again. Right, right. Uh, so, you know, speaking of costs, let's let's move on from there. Uh, we we have an ongoing problem in the country right now with, with two specific areas that are affecting every almost every business, and that's uh, supply chain issues and uh, dealing with the, the inflation rate, which you know. Uh, Paul, I, and Jake had uh, had spoken right before the podcast about how uh, production inflation is considerably higher than, than uh, front-end consumer inflation. So I want to talk about the difference between the two, how it's affecting us. But let, let's start with supply chain. How's your company dealing with that? Uh, we, we're actually doing pretty well overall, I would say. Um, you know, we, we've been, um, since, since the start of really probably like about January of last year is when everybody started really realizing that the supply chain was broken. Um, it was working not too bad through 2020. Um, you know, when we started getting the end of, end of 2020, I think what ended up happening is supplies that were already in-house from earlier in the year were finally running out. And, you know, with the shutdown in 2020 and everything, all of a sudden that that had more of an impact than people actually realized and not getting manufacturing back up and running and still the delays in trying to get manufacture, manufacturing back up. So, uh, about November, January last year is when we really started seeing the crunch. So what's been happening, what we've, we've done throughout the, you know, the last 12 months is, is consistently ordering every single month, whether or not we needed it, we've been ordering. And, and it, you know, um, hasn't really made our inventory too big because we're, we're actually receiving some stuff that lead times went from four to eight weeks that, you know, 10 weeks, 20 weeks, 30 wow. weeks, you know, I mean, we, we've got some stuff that's, that literally has been 48 weeks that we just got in. Wow. So Crazy. thankfully we, we continued to order, uh, you know, cause you know, we can always push it out or, 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 you know, cancel stuff that's way down the pipeline uh, if we end up getting overstocked, but, you know, we've been consistent, consistently ordering to, to try to make sure we had product and, uh, I, I think we're in a little bit better shape than than some other people are, but we're still seeing, you know, delays. I mean, we have some vendors that, you know, they say 26 weeks without a guarantee. Well, that 20, 26 weeks has actually been like 40 plus weeks. Um, we're just starting to get orders in from, you know, we got orders in the beginning of February from March of last year. And um, so I, th I think we're seeing some of that, you know, uh, some people are doing really well. I mean, the big shortage that everybody's seeing right now, engines, Honda, you know, shut down and they're just not able to keep up with the demand. Um, the, the thing with our industry, so many products 
are made in China and made overseas. You know, the pumps are made in Italy and, and Germany and, 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 uh, uh, you know, over, overseas there. And, you know, um, not really France, but Italy and Germany are the big ones, yeah. uh, where, where they're making a lot of the products. They make the trigger guns, they make, you know, most of the components that are used in pressure washing. And then there's things like the hoses and the couplers and, and a lot of that stuff's made in China. Well, with, with the, uh, backlog of shipping and all the stuff sitting. I mean, there's stuff that been on ships for six months that, you know, we have problems with. Then you get into the metal, you know, there's a lot of metal actually imported from overseas. Well, that comes here and it sits on the ships. And then next thing you know, it's on the ship for three months. Well, the metal all rusts because it's be exposed to the salt air. So now they get it in. Now they have to treat it and clean it before they can release it to people to manufacture. So now it costs as much as U.S. metal. And then everybody's like, well, I'll just buy U.S. metal. Well, there's no U.S. metal either. So, you know, it, it, there's, there's a lot of that. Um, I, you know, I think it's something that we're going to deal with. Metal has been a really, really tough one in plastics when the all the resin shortages are that – uh, you know, from the big freezes down in Texas and everything uh, last year, it shut down a lot of the plants that make the resins for plastic. Well, everything has plastic in it. And and so we've seen some problems with that. We've been pretty lucky and fortunate that it, we've had so many consistent orders uh, coming in. But, you know, engines and, and a few other items are just a little bit more of a challenge. You're going to see problems this year from everybody on, on some of that stuff. Now, inflation has kind of a... a, a- a double kicking effect here, um, or actually supply chain actually does on your cash flow because you know um, one area it affects cash flow is the obvious one. If you don't have products, it's hard to sell. You know, so cash flow is a problem there. But some people, you know, don't recognize the other area it creates a cash flow problem is when inventory is available, we tend to bulk up on it because we don't know when we're getting it again. So now there's more cash going out than we would normally anticipate for specific products. How's that? How have you guys been managing that budgetary control in your own business? That, that's been a real challenge uh, because, again, with the supply chain problems, we, we have some vendors and, and some suppliers that say, well, you know, this part is $5 today, but we don't know what it's going to cost when you get it. So in six months when we actually get it, it might actually cost us $11. Right, right. You know, and, and all of a sudden we sold three months of product with people ordering it at a loss or at a, at a net zero gain, you know, it's like, Oh, you know, we bought it for $6. We normally sell it for, you know, seven fifty or $8. And all of a sudden we come and come time to buy it. And it's $7 and 89 cents. It's like, well, you know, Whoa, we made a whole whopping $3 and 16 cents for them. These orders after waiting for 48 you know, months. <laughs> yeah. We didn't even cover our, our, our costs, you know, and um, there's been some of that that we've had to deal with um, price changes that, you know, the vendors are like, we don't know when it's going to come and you're going to pay the price when it, of what it is when it shows up. So I got a question for you, Paul. We all know the, the theory of, you know, supply and demand from economics. And we, we know how, in theory, these supply chain issues should affect the end, the end user here that you're selling the products to the pressure washer. What is the real effect of this on the pressure washer? Um, are, are they going to have increased costs? From from their equipment and their and their chemicals and are you seeing that I'm I'm just curious. Well, I I believe they will. Yeah, I mean one of the things that's that I'm I'm seeing that's a little bit interesting when you talk about supply and demand 
is that I don't think we're seeing the price increases at all really based on demand because the demand is there. The demand's been there and, 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 and the lack of supply. Really, all the all the price increases are just due to the increased costs of the product. Nobody's making additional margins because oh, I have a generator and you don't. I'm going to make an extra thousand dollars. I don't really see the price gouging yeah. out there from anybody. Uh, I, I, if anything, I see people not adjusting properly for their prices of products. That um, you know, we we have some vendors that people you know call us up. Well, I can buy this from so and so for this price. I'm like, well, that's great. If they have any, let me know. I'll buy everything they got because it's less than oh, what we pay for them. Right. Um, and, and and that happens. They don't adjust their prices, and and long term, you know, they're going to go out of business. Um, as as far as the contractor is concerned, you know, I I think they're seeing a, a, a moderate price increases overall in in the cost of their supplies. The thing about our industry is that it's very heavy yes. on the labor side. Um, so you're, 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 you know, as an example, I mean, with the, with the pricing structure, the way it is a typical house, you know, even using bleach and, and ex, you know, expenses with soap and bleach and, and whatnot, you know, it, it may have used to cost you, you know, $75 in product to wash a house. Well, now it's costing them $112 or $120. So it's, it's not, like it went from $100 to $400 because it, and what we deal with, we're all commodity based and and our price increases, it, it just, it's a commodity. There's nothing we can do about that. But labor and, and when you're higher on the labor costs, you can absorb some of that and maybe make a little bit less reduced labor. But if they go up 50 or 75 or $100 on a, on a house wash, they could actually make more money than they were because their raw materials haven't changed too much. You know, bleach has gone up a lot. You know, some soaps have gone up. Um, you know, you're looking 20, you know, 20, 30% increases perhaps. Um, you know, gas is up obviously, but it's a, it, in the big scheme of what they do, it's kind of a smaller part of of their overall expense if, if they're routed right. Now, the guys that are more rural that have to drive an hour and a half to a job, it's more effect, you know, affecting them more than, than a guy like in, in, in Pennsylvania or Connecticut or Florida where, where their, their territory that they cover is, you know, 30 square miles because there's just so much work. So before we got on, uh, we, were, we had a discussion. We were, we were talking about uh, inflation, which is now 7.5%. And we, we just saw a report that had production inflation at 11.4%. And um, people don't understand the difference between the two is producers prices tend to inflate uh, before and user prices. Um, and there's usually a drag. So the consumer usually sees less of it than the producers. And it, producers are entrepreneurs and they're also the investor. And we're starting to see a drag in the stock market as a result. Um, but Paul rightfully pointed out, as soon as I mentioned 11.4, he pulled the reg challenge flag out, threw it out in the football field. <laughs> because, uh, you weren't buying it. So um, I threw all I, three of them out at once. I, th I, I think you're going to win that challenge uh, and keep the time out because uh, that really, um, I, I'm not buying that either. 11.4 uh, is very low to, to, uh, in, in what we're seeing in the marketplace. Let's talk about that a little bit. What are you really seeing from the production side? Well, yeah. If you, it depends on how they're looking at it. Are they looking at a you know a, a two month or three month thing? Yeah, that might be about accurate. But I would say over the last twelve months, we've seen increases anywhere from on the low end. I would say maybe fifteen wow. percent. Right. On the high end, as much as thirty five wow. and forty percent. Right. Um, 
you know, things have, things have really gone up. I mean, you know, resin shortages, people can't get it. That that's kind of been a supply and demand thing, um, to a, to a certain extent. Um, you know, metal prices, uh, just crazy. I mean, there's so much demand and there's, there's no supply on that. So that's, that does raise those prices up. I think, you know, from the standpoint of the, uh, the middlemen, us middlemen, we've, we've been absorbing a lot of that because of the fear of, um, looking like we're, we're price gouging and overcharging. So, uh, I, I know I have, we, we've, we've tightened our margins and tried to run more lean and, and things like that. But, you know, we've had a lot of stuff that, that we've adjust and we've been fortunate that, you know, with our buying power and buying so much, we've been able to get to different discount levels with different vendors. So, you know, we pass our, our savings on to the customers. I mean, we, we know where just like a, a good house washing guy, we know where our margins should be. And, and we adjust them accordingly, you know, based on what we're paying for a product. If the price goes down, which is extremely rare, um, and I don't think we're going to see much of that when, if the economy, and if and when the economy recovers, I don't think prices are going back down. But, um, you know, our margins, you know, pretty much stay the same. And, um, you know, like I said, you know, that production, it'll take some time uh, before it gets to the, the, the consumer market. But I, I don't know how they're scaling it either because – they're, I think they're taking these numbers and they're 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 dividing them in kind of a static equation, um, because you know when you're especially if you're a manufacturer, you know your 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 cost for uh, product as well as your fuel cost for transportation are a much bigger part of that equation than say you know your office chair that you bought. You know, so um, you know for especially for, especially in your industry where you know the 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 end the end of the line, which is the person out who's cleaning. Those fuel costs are a big deal. Yeah, I, I would agree with that 100%. I mean, our, our shipping costs have probably been uh, the, the largest increase of anything over the past year. I mean, it, you used to be able to ship a pallet, you know, across the country for about 250 bucks. Well, it, it, it's it, anywhere from five to $700 now to ship a pallet. Right. It, it's just, it, it's ridiculous. It, you, you, you know, we, we're killed on that. Yeah. Um, and, and most people are. And, and, um, you know, it's like, how do you adjust to that? It, it, it's, you know, you hope the prices are going to come down. I know like some of our suppliers, we were just given a a product surcharge to try to adjust for the increased costs. It's like, well, we're going to leave your costs the same, but we're going to charge you a, a material surcharge. And, and when that fluctuated based on what material costs were at the time, they go up a little bit, they go down a tiny bit. And, you know, now we're at a point where they're just not dropping and I don't think they will. Yeah. And large scale shippers are getting killed too now because container costs are absolutely going crazy. Oh, you know, yeah. if you're pulling a container from China right now. I mean, it used to be, it used to be pretty short money for a container, 22, 2300 bucks. And now it's, now you're in the tens, tens to 15,000 range for the same container because they're not getting these things off ships and not circulating the containers fast enough. But right. It's going the, uh yeah, there, there, there's been a few stories I've heard that uh, over in uh, California with the containers, what they're doing is they're taking the containers off property and um, I think they're taking them off by a train, unloading them, and then bringing them back to the dock right away so that they can get them back right away. They're unloading them, loading all the product onto semi trucks and driving them across the country because they need the wow. containers back more. Right. Um, I know you're talking about container prices. We, you know, we buy uh, our hose, you know, the, the, all the, basically almost all the hose manufacturers are overseas. And and we buy containers of hose and bring it in. 
um, you know, for our product that that's made to our specs. Um, and, and because they're made to our specs, I have to buy a container. It a couple of years ago it was like $1,800 for a container to get a whole 53 foot container hose brought in. Now, um, the last estimate, we had an estimate actually of $8,000 for that same container less than a year later. And, you know, we were able to get that reduced <laughs> down a little bit, but yes. Yeah. So if anyone, it's still, you know, you're, you're looking at additional cost. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in a container of hose, it's not quite as bad, but it still adds $10, yeah. you know, to each, each piece so of So if hose. anyone in the yeah. audience is wondering why um, the products and equipment they use, the, the prices are increasing, this is the perfect answer why you've, we've touched it all. <laughs> now we know, we know why. Yeah. But Paul, I have to ask you, just being in the position you're in with these relationships, with all of these contractors, all these these pressure washers who are in the field, you you have all this information, I'm sure, coming back to you. And you're you're sitting in the seat, the, the view over over the whole uh, the environment here. And I'm curious, what's the biggest winner you see and the biggest loser? If someone wants to, to implement a, a product or equipment into their business, what's the number one thing they have to do and the number one thing they should stay stay away from to make sure they're building a successful pressure washing business? Uh, I mean, as far as equipment or, or, or what they should do with their business itself? I'm thinking, even if it has to do with equipment, but related to the business, like what, what choices do you see that relate to business making them more profitable and successful in the long run? Is someone using equipment that decreases so, their profitability or something like that? Yeah, I, I would say the very first thing they need to do is figure out what they mm -hmm. want to do. Um, a lot of guys get into the business and yeah. they're chasing dollars. One week they're a window cleaner because they saw a guy doing a high rise and heard he made $30,000 doing a high rise. I'm going to be a high rise window cleaner. Right, right. And then they go buy all the gear and they're like, oh, nobody's buying it. I don't understand. You know, oh, I'm going to be a sandblaster. Oh, well, I can't get the jobs cleaning the bridge. Well, yeah, it's a, you know, government contract. It's bid out two years ago. Um, so, you know, it's kind of like me. I, I'm an auto detailer. I'm going to be an auto detailer. Oh, God, I hate this. Luckily, I had some fleets that I was washing and I, and I enjoyed that. I, I specialized and, and you don't have to specialize. You can be a little bit of little bit of everything. But um, the, the, what I see is the companies that specialize in one type of cleaning more than another. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying co residential, commercial, you know, we might do soft washing and pressure washing. We specialize in in hard surface cleaning and restoration. We may specialize in decks. Um, you know, hoods, things like that. The ones that specialize in something really learn a lot more, become more of an industry expert and and have an easier time selling those jobs and getting those jobs and doing those things. So that's that's the number one thing I think everybody needs to do is don't chase the dollars, you know, find, first of all, find what you want to do and what you enjoy doing. Because as much money as you can make doing flat work, if you don't like doing flat work, you're not going to go out and try to do well with it. You're just going to do the minimum because oh, this is like punishment, right? Right. But if you really like doing flat work, you'll find more flat work than you'll ever know what to do with, right? Guys that like doing hoods, you know, I, I never liked doing hoods. I've, I've cleaned a bunch of them. All right. I just didn't like it. It was greasy. It was smelly in the middle of the night. You're using really heavy chemicals, right. but they make really good money. But if that's what you want to do, it's a good business to be in. So that, that would be the first thing. The second thing is uh, finding the right equipment to, to, to do the job. 
And not everything needs pressure. Not everything needs soft washing. Um, you know, get with some of the experts, go to some of the shows, talk to some of the people. We're happy to help people, even if they don't end up buying equipment from us. All my franchise locations are really, uh, they've, they've all been cleaning contractors. You know, we have a guy that specialized in brick cleaning for the last 20 years. He, his, he grew up, his father was a mason. He was a mason. He cleaned brick. You know, we have a guy that's specialized in fleets, you know, along with me. We have, you know, a, a, a my GM, you know, did wood restoration for 15 years. My, you know, Pennsylvania location is specialized in in uh, more residential cleaning and commercial cleaning. Our Nashville location does that. Uh, our Florida location that, that we just opened, he ran a, a very successful exterior cleaning company, did a lot of, you know, really big equipment with uh, big, big, uh, like hospitals and water towers or San Antonio location. Um, our Iowa locations, it, you know, has done a lot of that type of stuff. Our Iowa location is specialized in windows. So we have somebody that that's kind of in every location that um, really has an expertise. Our, you know, our Milwaukee location ha has done a lot with with sales and, and dealing and really understands our equipment and stuff like that. He started working for me before he opened his franchise. So um, having a specialty has made each one of these people a little more successful than, than the guy that's got the trailer and I got a pressure washer and I, yeah, I can clean that. You know, the guy that says, I can do that. I can do that. You know, Jack of all yeah. trades, master of none. Right. You know, that, that's, that's very accurate because they'll go out and they'll pressure wash a deck. Like, you know, when I first started, I didn't know, I was just hammered on that thing, you know, just splinters flying everywhere. You know, I didn't understand it. Ah, you don't want to use those cleaning chemicals on that. I'll just blast it with the pressure. Look, it comes right off. <laughs> oh man, there was a lot of sanding on that one. You know, that was one of my first couple jobs. I, I ripped was, leather in my boat by using the pressure washer on my boat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so good. yeah, that's exactly. So, you know, understand what you're going to do getting the right equipment for the job. You know, you don't have to have uh, the state of the art, everything, and 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 soft washing doesn't mean you have to have a special piece of equipment. You can soft wash with a pressure washer. People say you can't. It's not a pressure washer. It's a power washer, right? It's adjustable pressure. You don't have to use just because it says it's four thousand psi doesn't mean you have yeah. to do it, right? You're you're not you know, just because your, your your Lamborghini does you know 180 miles an hour doesn't mean you should do it right unless you're on a track you probably don't want to do it I don't think I want to do it on a track either <laughs> you can pull one of those three out yeah. of your garage Jake <laughs> so I lo I love that point I hadn't heard that one before I love the Lamborghini uh, analog there that's great <laughs> all right so uh, Dave do you have any questions for Paul. No, I think we covered a lot of ground today. And uh, Paul, thanks for coming, man. This was this was great. We gotta have you on again sometime soon. Well, I, I would love to. I really appreciate the opportunity. Uh, it was a good discussion, and 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 glad I could help out. So thanks for having me on. Absolutely, thank you, thank you so much for joining us, Paul, and giving this great information to our audience. Um, and to our audience, thank you for tuning in. We are loving the engagement on Instagram. Keep liking, subscribing, following, and share with your pr pressure washer buddies. Um, we like to have a, m a mindset of abundance here. Share this information and let's let's really um, you know increase the standard for the for the whole industry. Let's get this information out uh, from experts like Paul and help everyone in the industry raise the standards. You know, as the old cliche goes, a rising tide raises all ships. So thank you for your continued engagement 
And uh, we will see you next week with a continuing list of fantastic guests. So we'll see you then. Thanks for listening. If you haven't subscribed, go ahead and smash that subscribe button. And don't forget to hit the bell so you won't miss our next episode. This episode was produced by Jake Aronson. This has been a Pair Payments production.